This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning and welcome to Faith Church Lubbock. We are excited you guys are here with us. My name is uh, Matt Bullen. I'm one of the board members here. I used to be on staff here for those of you that do not know who I am. And uh, I'm really honored to be able to come up here and speak with you guys and just share a couple of thoughts I feel like the Lord has put on my heart. And uh, man, just tell you, it is good when you're redeemed and you understand who you are in the redeemed one. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about those things. But I want, I, I just want to catch the point that I think Pastor Sidney was even talking about there. So many times in life, I think that we can get caught up in busyness. There's always things. There's things that are always happening. We got to do this. Oh, I've got to get to this. Oh, I've got to get to that. Oh, I've got to do this. Oh, I've got. And all of a sudden, sometimes those things take the place of God. And sometimes those things become more important. People ask, how are you doing? Well, I'm busy. And we come up with that statement too many times instead of taking the moments. You know, the Bible teaches us that God created the world and everything in it in six days. In the seventh day, even God rested. See, when the Bible teaches us we were made in the image of God, that God wasn't made in the image of us, it changes everything. He wants us to understand what rest is all about. And so I think as you go into the summer season, take time to rest. Because I think there are so many things, and that's one of the ways the enemy attacks me and attacks each and every one of us that I know, that busyness can become more of a God than the Lord himself. And I think that's the opportunities we have to walk through, is that we have to make a choice and say, no, 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 Lord, you're going to be my God. I may have things to do, but I'm going to do them with joy because I get to serve the Lord while I do those things. And I will tell you what, your perspective, your attitude, your everything will change. But don't forget the rest. If you go on vacation, rest. If you have a Sunday, rest. Find time to get those moments because you know what? The week is going to be busy and it's going to be impactful and it's going to be all those things. But if you're not rested, it's going to be impacted the wrong way. So just a thought, just a thought to share right there. And so, um, man, I am so blessed to be able to share this thoughts with you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about redeemed. And so if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is called Redeemed Hope. And uh, I want to encourage you. Now, I was a person that, uh, man, I would bring my Bible to church or I'd pull my phone out and use my phone. I'm asking Whatever it takes, get the Word of God in your hand. And so one of the ways that we do that is we offer you the Bible. We're going to go through a scripture that you may have read many, many times, but I want to hit it hard tonight or this morning, and I want to show you the Hebrew and what these words mean. And so if you would, if you need a Bible, if you would lift your hand up in the air, the ushers are going to come serve you with that. If you don't need one of those, you're okay with that, grab your phone out. Click the Bible app, open it up, and get into the scriptures with us today. Whatever it takes, get the scriptures in front of you. I get that they're going to be up here, but it's something different when it's on your own device and it's on your own thing so that you can mark it, highlight it, write notes on that. And so um, we're going to have three points in today's message. So if you have something to take notes with, I highly encourage that too, because these are going to be things that I think will help each and every one of us as we walk through this. And so um, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. Um, I always try to do this to help. If you have the same Bible I have, it's on page 253. So good luck on that one. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. 
while you're doing that, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, so much for the blessings that you give us to come into your house. Father, I think at times we take advantage of the goodness that you have, the blessings that you've brought on us in this incredible country, Father, that we have the freedom to walk into any place that we want and to worship you. And so, Father, I thank you that you're here to meet with us. You said where two or more are gathered, I am there in the midst. And so, Lord, I stand on that word that you're with us today. You're with each and every person that is in this room. So I ask, Father, that you would open hearts and ears to hear and receive your word today, Father. And most of all, Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak this message with simplicity and clarity, Father. Lord, give me thoughts and ideas, things that I plan on not saying so the lives would be affected. And Father, most of all, know how much you truly love them. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. I ask for your blessing and your peace and ask for your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Ruth chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 9. But before we get there, let me, let me catch you up. I'll give you a quick synopsis on what's happening in the book of Ruth. If you've read it before, you'll, you'll get a quick refresher. But um, if you haven't read this, so the book of Ruth is written about a woman named Ruth. And Ruth has a mother-in-law named Naomi. And the whole story is written about Ruth and Naomi and the relationship that they have. And so in the beginning, we find Ruth, her sister-in-law, and Naomi, their mother-in-law. So there are three women that are standing there. And both Ruth and her sister-in-law's husbands have died, along with Naomi. She's lost her husband long, long before. And so there are three women that are standing there. And there's nobody to redeem their family. And so Naomi is mean, she's kind of just bitter, she's angry, she's gotten all these things, she's just, she's frustrated because life has not turned out like it should in her, her, her mind. She's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, and it's just not good. And so she is going, she said, I'm going back to where I came from, back to my hometown. And the two daughter-in-laws are sitting there going, well, we'll go with you. And she starts to leave and she says, no, you two go find other men to get, go get married, go get, find something else. You do not go with me. And one of the sister-in-laws takes off. And then Ruth looks at her and says, no, I'm never going to leave you. Your land will be my land. Your God will be my God. I will forever be connected to you. And so she makes a vow at that point to say, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And so Naomi and Ruth end up going back to her hometown. And when she gets there, she doesn't have any food, any money or anything because the husband, they don't have husbands who can afford their lifestyle. They have nothing. And so Ruth goes into the fields and she picks up the scraps from the, when they're harvesting, she's picking up all the scraps that are left behind. And they used to do this and leave for the poor so they could get food. And so she goes and she gets food every single day for her and her mother-in-law. And then she would go back and do it again every day, continually doing this. This is how she got food. And so Boaz was an owner of a field that Ruth started going to. And Boaz saw Ruth and saw that she was very honoring, very grateful. And she saw, he saw something in her. And so he told his servant ladies, don't mess with her. Let her get whatever she needs and she can take what she needs. So she goes home and she tells Naomi, Ruth tells Naomi about what Boaz has done. And she said, Boaz is actually one of our family. And he, I believe, is our family redeemer. So there's a law that says in order for a woman to be redeemed, the family has to take her on. 
basically, if a brother has a wife and the brother dies, the next brother gets him. And so if I look at the Havens family here, it works its way from Evan down to CJ, down, and it works all the way through. It keeps going back and forth and back and forth all the way down to Ben, all of a sudden, is given a wife. And so that's the redeeming. That's how you redeem them. So when there's nobody else left, they have to find a new family member, somebody else who's close to do these things. So they've said, well, Boaz is it. And Naomi sees the love and the passion that Boaz and the honor that he is. He's a good man. And Naomi says, go to him tonight because it's a harvest they're celebrating. And at night, make sure you lay down at his feet because she was basically vowing her life to be wed unto him. And so we're going to catch up real quick. Verses, verse 9. So chapter 3, verse 9. Here's where we're at. It says, who are you, Boaz said. He said, I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Now, I love this right here. Naomi didn't, I mean, Ruth didn't grow up there. Naomi did. But yet Ruth honored Naomi so much that she didn't have to go around telling people that she was a virtuous woman. Her character screamed it from the rooftops and everybody knew that. I love that statement. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. This isn't a place where she was from. They were like, oh yeah, we've known her since she was a child. In a short period of time, her character kinda continued to speak the same thing again and again. I love it. Verse 12, it says, but while it's true that I am your, your family's redeemers, one of your family's redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So he explains to Ruth that there is somebody else that's closer. He needs to go talk to them because they're the ones that are first in line to redeem the family. So Ruth has hope. Because up until this point, Ruth was always going to be a single woman. She was going to be a widow. And widows were treated different than a married woman. She was going to have to fend for herself the rest of her life. And so this is what's amazing about this is Boaz is such a good man. He goes and he says, I could do this, but there's somebody closer that is right. And here's what we're going to do. And so he goes, verse 1 in chapter 4, it says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together and then Boaz called the 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witness. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative, Imamek. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. 
So at this moment, Ruth goes home, tells Naomi, there's hope. There is hope. I have hope of being redeemed. And this is what's amazing about it is, so Boaz goes and he shares it with this man, and this man says, yes, I'll be the redeemer that I'm destined to be. Right? So at this moment, she's redeemed. And Boaz says, great. But let me tell you this last part. It says, then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires you to marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Verse six, when he found the cost. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. And so here's what I want to get at. As we walk through this life, many times people will try to step up to be the redeemer that you think you need for the situation you're in. But when they find the cost, this man, when he realized what it would do to him and his family, he was out. Oh no, the cost is way too high. The cost is way too high because I know this. Everything I've built up, now I'm going to have to share. Uh -uh, I'm not sharing. It's mine. See, this is the way that we have to walk through life. We have to understand something. People were not made to be the redeemer for your situation. God was. See, number one, if you're taking notes, God never created us to be the redeemer. He never created us to be the redeemer. He is the redeemer. We are redeemed in him, not in us. See, every time that we put our faith in people, we are taking a chance and hoping that the goodness of their heart will get us out of the situation we're in. The problem is we're putting our hope in people instead of God. Yeah, but God sent them into my life. Really? For that situation, he sent them into your life. So what happens if they fail? Does that mean God's a failure? See, because every one of us falls short of the glory of God. This is why we put our faith in him. Now, they may be sent into your life, but not to be your redeemer. Just like your husband or wife is not the answer to your happiness. They're a companion along the journey and the adventure you go on with God. See, I can't put that on my wife and my wife can't put that on me because that's an unfair expectation. These are the things that we have to understand. I can't have my kids put that on me and I can't put that on my kids because again, that is an unfair expectation. See, the redeemed hope comes from the Lord. The story is perfect for human life. See, it relates to each each and every one of us in one way or another. See, Ruth needed a family member to redeem her and that happened when they counted the cost It was too much. See, the same thing happens when we make the decision to allow people to try to be our redeemer instead of the Lord. See, this is much like people in our lives. See, we think people will be the answer. They'll get us out. They'll do this. And I know I've done this in my life many times. Well, if I can just get to be friends with them, they can do this, 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 and this for me. It's a manipulative way of thinking. See, with God, there is no manipulation. It's only truth. 
See, when I trust God, God gives me all the answers that I need. Now, I may have a person in my life that God is going to help me or I'm going to help them with, but it doesn't mean I'm their answer. See, he is the one who will redeem us. That's what it comes back to and takes. So remember, number one, God never created us to be the redeemer. Number two, for taking notes, it says, God never created us to be able to earn our redemption. Turn to Luke chapter 15. And I want to talk to you a little bit about how we think sometimes in life. See, I think when we read through the scriptures, it changes everything about, when we, about them when we put ourselves in the situation. So I want you to think about this. As we're reading about this, the prodigal son, I want you to think about how you would react in this situation. How would you handle it when you're the one that made all the mistakes? What's your first reaction? Do you line up to the word of God and say, Lord, I thank you so much that you've redeemed me? Or do you try to figure out a way, God, okay, if you do this, I'll pray more. I'll spend more time in the Bible. I'll even go see Aunt Sally, who I can't stand because I know you love her. See, we make deals with God thinking this will get us into his good grace. But I want you to think about how the prodigal son is. And I want you to watch how the father reacts. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says this. To illustrate the point of the father, Jesus told them, the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, the younger son told his father, I want my share of my estate now before you die. So the father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and to and sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses. See, I think about this. Sometimes in life, we really fight until we finally come to our senses and realize I've got one of two ways of handling this. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, Kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, I can choose to live in the fruit of the Spirit or out of the fruit of the Spirit. But I'm telling you what, living in the peace of God, living in the joy of God, living in the love of God, the self-control, all of those things, man, it makes my life so much better. I have to come to my senses in those areas. But I love it. So when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying for hunger. See, I think about it this way. So this man, he, he screwed up. He's taken what he thought was gonna be the answer for his life, all the money in the world, all the pleasures and all the things, and he left, and he went, and he flaunted it and had great fun until it was all gone. See, he felt like that would give him the happiness he wanted. But it came back to when he, who did he look to? Did he look to his brother? Did he look to his dad? No, he looked at his hired servants and said, they live better than I am right now. I'll just go be one of them for the rest of my life. So he goes on, he says, I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. 
I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See, he looked at an opportunity and said, I've screwed up so bad. The only way that I can ever be in the good graces of my father is if I work my tail off for him. See, I think at times we look at how God, how God can I earn my way back into your world? What can I do to earn good graces back with you? But I love as we continue to go on this. Verse 20 says, so he returned home to his father and while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, not judgment and condemnation, love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So he comes, he falls down. I can just imagine he's falling to his knees and he says, Father, I am not worthy. I have sinned against you and heaven and I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Hire me as a servant. I love the reaction of the father. Look at this. Very next thing, verse 22. But his father said to his servants, quick. So here he is, his son, he comes in, he embraces him, he hugs him and he kisses him. He falls at his on his knees, he's falling down and he's saying, I'm not worthy of all these things. And he doesn't pay any attention to it, to what his son is saying. Because his son thinks he has the right answer. By becoming your servant, I'll earn good graces. Therefore, I'll earn your love back. But the father does none of that. And he says this. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but is now found. So the party began. I love this because not only did God the father, the father in this is God, did he take the prodigal son and not listen and say, yes, you're gonna have to, you, you owe me this, you owe me this, you owe me this, you owe me this, you owe me this. In fact, you'll probably never be able to pay it off, but that's okay. I'm gonna hire you to be this servant. I'm gonna hire you to do this. And I, He didn't even mess with anything. He had lost his entire wealth and it didn't matter because his son had come home. And he says, quick, go get a robe and put it on him. Why did he need a robe at that moment? What did that robe signify? Well, think about the robes that you've seen and heard about in the Bible. Joseph, the robe of many colors. What did that robe represent? When he came walking down the street, people saw that robe. They knew who Jacob was, or who Joseph was at that moment. They knew who he belonged to. And every time he had that robe on and he saw himself in the mirror, or he saw his reflection, it reminded him, oh, that's right, that's who I am. That's who I am. So we threw the robe on him. Didn't matter how dirty, how nasty, how bad he smelled. Get the finest robe and put it on him. He said, then put a ring on him. Why did he need to put a ring? He needed to put a ring on him because when you wear that ring, it signifies something. When Joseph was given the ring from the the greatest leader in the world, the ruler of all the world, He put that ring on him, and that ring signified that he was second in charge. That ring here signified to everybody else, that's my son. And he put sandals on his feet because he was tired of him continually walking through the dirt. When you put sandals on, you walk a little bit taller. You're a little bit bolder. See, everything about him screamed, I'm a failure. 
but yet God redeemed him instantly. See, here's the thing. I love the word that we missed right there at the beginning. He didn't tell his servant, hey, when you get time, go get this stuff for him because he'll need it. He told him, quick, go get it. Because the instant that you choose him as your redeemer, everything is redeemed. Not just bits and pieces. He didn't just get a robe. He didn't just get a ring. Everything was redeemed. See, that's the attitude we have to choose. See, the prodigal son wanted to earn his way back into the good graces with the Lord. That's why he came back telling his father, I'll do anything. I'll become your servant. Because he felt like that was the only way that he could earn the worthiness to stand in front of his father. See, he was not, gonna, he was not allowed to fully pay for those because his father came back with an open heart to welcome his son. See, many times in lives, I think that we have this mindset that we try to earn our way back into the good graces with God. Well, I, I'm gonna read the Bible more. That's great. No, I'm gonna pray more. That's great. I'm gonna go to Tuesday night prayer every Tuesday. And you go the first week and you're fighting. And you go the second week and you're fighting. And you go the third week and you're fighting. And then the fourth week you're fighting and things are starting to go better. And then about the fifth and sixth week, all of a sudden it's not, ah, man, I got this thing, but I'll go next week. And then it starts changing. Do you think God's view of you changed during any of that? He loves to have conversation with us. But who are you? Remember the song we were singing, A Good, Good Father? I am who he says I am. That's it. I am God's loved. I am loved by God and that's who I am. I am loved by God and that's who I am. Now, is Tuesday night prayer great? Yes, it is. Absolutely, it's wonderful. But it's not gonna earn you any more love of God because you have every bit of love you ha- you'll ever get at this moment. God loves you. Now, the question is, are we seeing that same thing? See, it's about faith. See, the prodigal son made a statement that I think many of us do. Lord, how can I earn my way back into you? back into your good graces, back into your love. What do I need to do to make this? That's why it's so amazing what the Bible says in Romans 9, 10, verses, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says that if you confess Jesus as Lord of your life, and if you give up all your wealth, and you stop sinning, and you stop doing this, and you stop, no, he didn't say any of that. He says if you confess Jesus as Lord of your life and believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead, For it's with your heart that you believe and with your mouth that you confess, you are saved. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no dot, dot, dot. Let me tell you the rest of the story. It's period, finished, done. See, that's the attitude and mindset we have to see ourselves. We weren't created, remember, we weren't created to earn our redemption. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, this verse simply states that our relationship with God is not based on works. It's not based on works at all, but it is about faith and only faith that leads us to God and pleases God. Those are the decisions we have to choose to make. Number three, if you're taking notes, is this, God never created us to be redeemed by those around us. God never created us to be redeemed by those around us. Jeremiah chapter 15. 
I want you to really dive into this verse. This is an amazing part right here. Jeremiah chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 10. It says this. The subtitle of my, in my Bible says, Jeremiah's complaint. Jeremiah's complaint. How many of you have ever been in a point where you're kind of complaining to God? I know I have. I know I've done it many times. And I think about this, and I'm like, man, God deals with a lot of us on a lot of complaining and whining and all these different things. But I love, I love how he states this. So Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 10, it says this. Then I said, what sorrow is mine, my mother? Oh, that I had died at birth. I am hated everywhere I go. I am neither lender who threatens to foreclose nor borrower who refuses to pay, yet they all curse me. Here's what he's saying. He's basically, hey, man, everybody hates me. I do what you've asked me to do and everybody hates me. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's mean. God, I don't want to be like this anymore. So he goes on and the Lord replies, verse 11, it says, I will take care of you, Jeremiah. Should be, that's all he says. But he goes on and he says, your enemies will ask you to plead on their behalf in times of trouble and distress. Can a man break a bar of iron from the north or or a bar of bronze? At no cost to them, I will hand over your wealth and treasures as plunder to your enemies. For sin runs rampant in your land. I will tell your enemies to take you as captives and foreign, to a foreign land. For my anger blazes like fire that will burn forever. Verse 15, Jeremiah again. It says, then I said, Lord, you know what's happening to me. Please stop. Please step in and help. God, I've served you this whole time and you've done nothing. It's basically what he's saying. Step in and help. You said that you would protect me. You told me right up here, I'll take care of you. Well, good, then do it. Because I'm not seeing anything. So he says, punish my persecutors. Please give me time. Don't let me die young. It's for your sake that I'm suffering. See, here it is. God, it's your fault. I'm in this situation because you put me in this situation. I'm terrible at this. I'm frustrated. I'm mad because of you. So he continues to go on. It says, when I discover your words, I devour them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. Why then does my suffering continue? Why Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Now talk about, he's pretty mad at this point. Think about this. He's basically stating to God, you're like a seasonal brook. You might be there, you might not be there. I don't know, we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen next season. Maybe enough rain will come that we'll have a seasonal brook. We'll do these things. And this is how the Lord responds in verse 19. It says, this is how the Lord responds. If you return to me, I will restore you. So you can continue to serve me if you speak good words rather than worthless ones. You will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. Now I'm going to stop right here because this verse hit me hard. And this was a verse I was talking with some family about, and it started driving in some points. And so I went back and I studied it. In my Bible, it marks two words right there. The first one is this. In verse 19, it says, this is how the Lord responds. If you return, and then it puts a little M by it. And when I go look at it, it gives me the word shub, S-H-U-B, out of the Hebrew. 
So I go back in the Hebrew and I look at what it means. Because if we don't understand these things, then we can't understand this verse. And this is what it means. Out of the Hebrew, it means return or repent. This verb means to return to an earlier state. I love it. What's a verb? A verb is an action word. It's something that you must do. It's something that you must see. So it's a verb that returns to an earlier state. It can refer to a physical movement or a change in condition, behavior, or belief. The focus is sometimes on turning away from a negative thing, sometimes on returning to what is good. It often brings a renewal of relationship, especially with God. So I want you to understand that, what he's talking about. If you return, remember, that's what he's stating. If you will come back into relationship with me instead of being so bitter and angry, instead of living in unforgiveness, if you will come back to where you were when you first started our relationship, that's what he's saying. It says, if you return to me, I will restore. That word restore is the same word, it's shub. And so what that saying is, I will restore, I'll bring you back to the moment where you were so excited that you were on fire, that you were passionate, that everything was there. I will restore you so that you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence. That word influence is a cross-reference into shub, which means that if you will influence them to return back to me, that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to redeem them. I'm asking you to tell them to return to me. And do not, them, do not let them influence turn away from me. And that's what he's talking about right there. In verse, verse 19 out of the Amplified Version, this says it so well. And I think this is gonna hit home for some of us. It says, therefore, thus saith the Lord to Jeremiah, if you return and give up this mistaken tone to distrust and despair, this mistaken tone See, this is what it's coming to. I want you to think about this. Have you ever had somebody in your life that you expect them to always fail in what you ask them to do? Meaning this, hey, can you do this for me, but you know they're never going to do it? How faithful are you in those words? How excited are you? Hey, man, can you take care of this? Because you know they're going to, or you're like, hey, man, can you take care of this? Never mind, I'll go do it because I know you're not going to do it. See, that was the attitude that he had. A tone of distrust and despair, meaning that everything he was stating at that moment was out of this negative mindset that God will never do or that might just by chance someday make it happen. So he goes on and he says, given up this mistaken tone to distrust, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety and you will be my minister. And if you separate the precious from the vile, cleansing your own heart, from unworthy and or and unwarranted suspicious concerning God's faithfulness. Basically what he's stating is you don't believe that I'll do what I say I'll do. You don't trust me of my word anymore. You used to, but you stopped because you started listening to people instead of me. See, remember, he came back to it and says, 
You must influence them and do not let them influence you. Why were they being influenced? Why was he being influenced? Because he allowed them to be their voices louder than the voices that were I was hearing from him. See, this is what it comes back to. Is this more important or this? What you fill yourself with is what you're going to see in yourself. That's what he's stating right here. It says, unworthy, unwarranted, suspicious concern in God's faithfulness. You shall be my mouthpiece, but do not yield to them. Let them return to you, not you to the people. See, this is the truth that we have in our lives. We have to walk this out. And so these are the statements that he's talking about right here. As he continued down this path, we have to learn to trust this. See, as I was walking through this thought process and this tone of distrust, when I was a kid, I used to ask my parents, hey, can we go do this thing? You know, hey, can we go to Disney World? You'd see this thing on TV and you're like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. Can we go do that? And my parents would always come up with the same statement. Maybe someday. And I'd be like, Sunday? Like this Sunday we're going to, no, 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 someday. Maybe someday. And so as I was a kid, I always had hope. I was like, oh, that's great. Someday we're going to get to do this thing. Problem is, someday never came. It's not on the calendar. I kept looking. It's not there. And so we, we, we walked through this process. And, and I remember as I got older and I would say, oh, hey, can we go do this thing? And my parents would say, well, maybe someday. I knew it meant maybe never because it's never going to happen. And my faith in them at that point was gone. See, when I was a kid, I trusted that maybe someday might actually come. But the more it stopped coming, the less I stopped believing. See, I think at times in life, we think God says that to us. Maybe someday you'll get that thing that you want. Maybe someday I'll answer the prayer that you're asking for. Maybe someday it'll come. Those are the decisions and things you have to make in your life. Do I still view God as a maybe someday God? Or do I trust God at his word that said, whatever I ask in my name, I shall have it. See, there's a, there's a difference there. See, Jeremiah got off track because he listened to people tell him about how God is always a someday God. Someday we'll do that thing. Someday I'll answer your prayer. Someday it'll come to fruition. But God is in the perfect timing, God. So if you don't have it today, it's because you don't need it today. Stand in faith. The Bible says, it's one of my favorite scriptures, Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, it says, cast your bread upon the water for after many days it shall return. See, the bread represents the word. Cast your word. Stand on the word of God. Cast it out, for after many days it shall return. It goes on to state that many people will look up at, this, at the clouds. Many people will look at the leaves. Many will look at the wind and miss the day that it comes back. See, cast your bread upon the water, for after many days it shall return. So what do you do? You stand faithful. Jeremiah stopped being faithful. We just read that. We understand that. See, with my parents, love them, but someday never came. My faith dwindled. We've got to stop viewing God as a someday God. God is our redeeming God. See, I wonder in our prayer life if we've been expecting God to be a someday God. 
and it comes out in our tone. Think about it. When you pray and ask God for something, are you standing with an expectation, knowing that it's coming? Or are you just going through the motions because you're tired of always being disappointed? Sometimes we're disappointed because we know what God needs to do instead of allowing God to do what he knows we need to do. So you catch the difference in that? So as we go down through this process, it's about trusting what the Lord is doing. See, we were created in the image of God, not God created in the image of us. That's where we miss it first. Then the second part I believe that we miss it in is this. The Lord taught us to pray, and he said, pray this prayer. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the problem is we can't even say that prayer until we believe the first two words. Our Father. And then once we understand he is our Father, then the next part is hallowed be thy name. Honor the name. Honor, trustworthy. Everything that he said is a yes and a yes and a yes and a yes and amen. That's what it comes back down to. When I have an expectation, it changes everything. See, we have to change our mindsets and look at God as the one who can truly lead us to our dreams and our destiny because he redeemed us. I can't look at people to lead me to the dream that God has given me. I can't look at people or myself to earn the dream that God has given me. It's his dream for me, not my dream for him. See, we've got to flip the script. When I keep my eyes up, it changes everything. When I get my eyes this way, it changes a lot. When I get my eyes here, I see all the mistakes. See, that's what we tend to do. Who can I pick? Oh, oh, I bet they could help me. Oh, I bet they could help me. And then once we get over that, we change to this attitude of, man, look at how bad I am. Man, I've got this scar here. I've got this scar here. I've got this, oh, and I can't even see this. And we can't get past this, so we try to earn our way back into it. When I'm ready, God is going to move because I'm going to be so big and perfect. And God said, you're perfect right now. See, those are the things that we have to. Jeremy, we're going to end this on Galatians. I want to read a couple of scriptures. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and begin to close on these thoughts. And I want you to understand the redeemed hope. Hope is something that we always look for. It gives us something to shoot for, to move forward every single day. We have a redeemed hope, but it all comes down to how we view it. Verse 17. It says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ. And then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of the law, I already, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I lived in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who, lived, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. What he's stating there is very simple. It's Christ in me. That's what 
redemption is all about. It's not me trying to follow this and I'm perfect and I scored an A plus, therefore there would be no need for God because the law has become your God. See, his mercy and grace is all that we seek. Skip down to chapter three, verse 26. For me, I just got to turn the page real quick. Verse 26, it says, for you are all children of God through, through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been put in Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or, ma- slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ. See, there's no question. It didn't, st- it didn't say something else at that point. It didn't mess it up. It's a decision that we choose to make and understand right there. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to God belongs to you. See, this is the choices that we have to choose to make. How do we view this moment? See, when I go to the chiropractor, he helps me with something. See, a lot of times in our bodies, we hurt. But God created our bodies perfect to heal ourselves. We're created to heal ourselves. If we're in alignment, your body will heal itself. Sickness, disease, all those things, they have no place in a healed body. See, but times what happens is I get out of alignment, like I'm crooked. And what it's causing to do, it's like this roadblock it's put up. And I have this thing over here that needs attention. And we're trying to come, but this roadblock is blocking it. And it can't get to the, pot, the spot it needs to get to. And what do we do most of the time? We just deal with it. We just deal with it. What's life like right now? Man, it's a mess. What are you doing about it? Ah, man, we're just going to get through it. Have you prayed? Well, we tried. Are you stand, what scripture are you standing on? Uh, John 3.16? I don't know. You know, kind of throwing it out there. And we have this thing, but we have this issue over here. And it's because we're not in alignment that this thing can get healed. When I go to the chiropractor, he adjusts me. And all of a sudden, this thing that was blocking gets taken down. And I'm put back in alignment, and I'm straight, and I'm doing these things. And I'm like, that's it? And he's like, that's it. And so what's going to happen? He said, you're going to be sore for a few days. And I said, why am I going to be sore? He goes, because you've been out of a line for so long. This thing needs to heal. But for the first time, it's actually going to start healing. And all of a sudden, a couple days later, I just feel a whole lot better. And something else will happen and I'll get out of the line and I got to go back and I got to get adjusted again. And I walk out and I get better and better and better. See, we were created like this. We were created in the image of God. When God sees us, he sees himself. He doesn't see the mistake and the fall and the broken. He sees the redeemed. When we choose to follow after him, remember uh, Hebrews 11, 6, it's by faith and only faith that we can please God. See, it's a choice that we choose to make. When we get in alignment with God, communication happens. We're hearing from God. God's hearing from us. We're talking back and forth and we're going through this. 
But sometimes, like Pastor Sidney talked about, there's things that get in our way, busyness, things that take our distraction away and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like this roadblock gets up and God can't heal the spot because there's something there. And instead of dealing with it and letting God break it down and get us back in alignment, we get frustrated with God. God doesn't hear us. I don't know if he'll ever, he'll be a someday God. Instead of the God who said yes and amen. See, that's how we have to view things. Am I, am I serving a someday God? Or am I serving a God that says yes and amen? Yes and amen. See, his scripture says that he'll be a yes and amen God. But people will tell us that he's a someday God. Because they're stuck. Just like all of us are. We all get out of alignment. That's why we have to have hope. And the only one to have hope in is the only one who can redeem you. And the only redeeming hope that we have in this life is found in him. See, when I look up, it changes everything. My perspective, my attitude, my all. When I look here, it changes everything too. Now I start getting negative. I start hearing and I start taking it heart. Not God's word, but man's word. Thinking faith thoughts and speaking faith words will lead your heart out of defeat and into victory. See, the fruit of your words, thoughts, prayers will always show up in your life. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how is the fruit I am producing in my life? What is it? What's being produced? And is it the fruit that I want to produce? See, when I was a teenager, I walked into my parents' I was a sophomore in high school and I walked in and I, I, I didn't like who I was being associated with. I remember having many questions, but I remember this one moment, this one day where I walked in and I looked at my parents and I said, I do not like who I am. I'm going to change. It was at that moment, that was my Jesus moment. God had been working on me and working on me and working on me. I didn't know it because I didn't know who he was but it was at that moment that I started a path I didn't go to church the next day I didn't even go to church for the next month but I started to make a change and get around people that I wanted to be around that helped me to be a better me and then I found that they could only get me to so far and then I had to find someone else who and that's when I started going to church and I found this relationship with Jesus and I realized that was the one I need to follow. That's who I need to get around. Because the more I get around him, the better I am for me. And the better I am for me is the better I am for we. See, the more that it's about me, the more that this is messed up. But the more that it's about him, the better it gets all around. See, this is the decision we have to choose to make. I can take this roadblock down I can leave it up and say, well, we'll try it again next Sunday. Or this can be the day. This can be the day that I stop looking to others to be my redeemer. This can be the day I stop looking to try to earn my redemption. This can be the day that I'm going to stop not believing in my prayers. That I'm going to stand. The word said you would. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. There is no question marks at the end of those. There is no dot, 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 just kidding. There is no smiley face emoji winking an eye. 
It's just point blank. Ask and you shall receive. See, that's the God I serve. We have to change the perspective. Who is the redeemed God that I serve? And so I'm going to ask you to do this simple thing. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to ask you to ask one simple question. And you could just say it in your heart. The Lord knows. Remember, the distrust that he saw in the tone with Jeremiah, he recognized it. He recognizes your thoughts. And I want you to ask the simple thought, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this message? Because I believe this, the Lord speaks to us in every single message. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I know this, without redemption, there's no future. Without a father, there's no hope. See, the prodigal son had lost all hope and desire and sought a way to try to earn redemption. But that's not the good, good father I know. And so I'm asking with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, maybe you've accepted Jesus as Lord of your life many times. You've served the Lord. You've been going to church faithfully for years, but today something hits your heart. Maybe it's the distrust in your tone with God, that you've kind of changed your mentality, that he used to be yes and amen God and has changed to a someday God, maybe someday. It's all about our perspective and how we view. Or maybe you've never accepted Jesus fully. Maybe you just accepted him because somebody told him you needed to. Maybe you just did it because you felt like you had to at the time, but you've never truly given your heart wholeheartedly unto him. This is your day. You are set here for this moment for a purpose. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in either one of those places, I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to pray with you. And so if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, without reservation, with a boldness, I'm just asking put your hand up in the air and say, that's me. That's me. I see those hands going up all over this place. Listen, don't do it because others are doing it. Do it because you know that's what I need, Lord. I need to confess to you that we're out of alignment, that I'm off right now, Father, and I want to get back in alignment with you. So as I look across this room, man, there are hands that are going up all over this place. Do not question whether this is for you because you know this is the moment you're supposed to answer. This is your time. This is your moment. So look across this room one last time. If that's you, just lift your hand up in the air and say, that's me. I see those hands. I see those hands. And I know this, the Father sees them most of all. I'm going to ask this, if everybody would stand to your feet. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song. And I want you to sing this song unlike you've ever sang before. Because see, when we're redeemed, there's nothing holding us back. When we're not redeemed, absolutely, man, there's everything holding us back. And so this is your opportunity because when you're redeemed, God changes our perspective. God changes the way he sees us and the way we see ourselves. See, this is your chance to jump in, to sing the song like you've sung it any other time. 
this is your opportunity. And so I'm going to ask two things. One, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up here to the front because I don't want you to just be here. If you need prayer for this and you want someone to seal this moment, this is your opportunity. And so they're going to be up here at the front as we sing this song. I want you to come and do that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and then we're going to get into this song. And I want you to sing it. I want you to be ready. I want you to dive into that area and watch the Lord move. Don't sit back and just say, oh, it's a good song. No, this is a battle cry for you and your life. So if you would, pray this prayer with me. For those of you that raise your hand, pray it loud enough you can hear with your own ears. And everyone else, pray this in encouragement of these. That made the dedication today to say, Lord, you are redeeming me today. This is my day. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one of these members that are here. I thank you for these people, Father, the hearts that are here. Lord, I pray your blessing and peace upon them. I thank you for being our Redeemer. Father, for it not being too much of a cry, a price. But you took it. You humbled yourself and gave us freedom. For those of you that lift your hand, pray this. Say, Father, let's have everybody pray. Say, Father, I confess you as leader of my life. As the Lord of my life, I confess you, Jesus, as the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart. You chose me. And I thank you for forgiving me, for redeeming me, for giving me hope and a future and a blessing. I confess Jesus as Lord of my life. Be the leader of my life and all that I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.